so to repent of your sin means to put your sin to death, to turn from it, to view it the same way that God views it, which is it's treasonous and it's diabolical. It is going to end me. And so I must end it. I must put an end to it. You're listening to a special message preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, or to learn more about Jesus, visit thisisshoreline.com. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 3, or if you have a Bible app, ESV app, go to Romans chapter 3. We're gathered together on Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. It's the day that we recognize. Good. This is the day we recognize the Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead triumphantly. It's for the moment that he forever conquered sin and death, that great final foe. So today's a day of celebration. Today's a day of rejoicing. Today's a day of life and hope and renewal. One person declared that the tomb of Christ is famous because of what it does not contain. Amen? Amen. Jesus is alive. He's risen indeed. And that literally changes everything. So the entire Christian faith hinges upon what we're celebrating today. And we celebrate every Sunday. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. We are not here, as you learned from Cheryl, we're not here to follow some, some moral principles or dead moral code. We follow a person a person named Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who died in our place, but who overcame the grave triumphantly. Uh, One Harvard law professor said, according to the law of legal evidence used in courts of law, there's more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. So the resurrection of Jesus is what we celebrate today. Uh, But again, it's not something that we only do today. It's something we do every time we gather. The resurrected Savior defines our identity, defines our worship, and defines our mission. If you don't know what the gospel is, God, the creator, made the universe, and he said it was good, but mankind sinned and fell. So in his mercy, God set a people apart for himself, Israel, and showed them his kindness and his love. And it was through this covenantal people that God sent his son uh, through them to come to fulfill the law of God perfectly and to take the place of punishment that you and I rightfully deserve. But Jesus came to bear the full wrath of God against lawlessness. And he's provided a way of salvation for each and every person who would trust Christ and turn from their sin. And that includes you, and that includes me this morning. And that's what we're going to be talking about in Romans chapter 3. Now, as we look at Romans chapter 3, I read an old news story this week about a VW bug that had been stolen. And that's news in and of itself, because who would steal a Volkswagen bug? Actually, that's becoming more popular today. But police began staging a a desperate search to find the vehicle and the driver. They even began to place announcements on the radio to try to alert the thief to pull over and turn himself in. He had been evading capture. But here's why they went to those links. This is why they wanted the thief so badly. It turns out on the front seat of that VW bug that had been stolen sat a box of crackers. And that box of crackers had been laced by the owner with poison. He was using them as rat bait. 
So the police and the owner of the car were more interested in apprehending the thief, not to try to trap him, but to save him. And so often you might come to a church like this. You haven't been to church in years, uh, uh, many months maybe. And you think, well, I'm a little bit worried that maybe God's out to apprehend me. Maybe he's trying to hurt me or he has some ulterior motives. Uh, And yet I want to let you know this morning that he's come to set you free. We sometimes think God's trying to reprimand me, but what he's trying to do is rescue you. And this morning that may describe you. You've been running from God to try to evade capture. But the Bible tells us all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. We all stand condemned in our natural state, condemned before God. So we must be saved. We must be rescued. We must be plucked from the fire. And there's only one way to do that. There's only one way to be righteous and to stand in right standing before the Father. And Romans chapter 3 tells us what that is. And so this has been called, I have my work cut out for me, because this has been called the most important paragraph in all of human history, and understanding this is the key to life. And so we would all do well to pay attention this morning because our eternity depends on it. Look at uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 21, and we're going to see three big themes. We're going to see righteousness, we're going to see redemption, and we're going to see reception. Okay, So that's what we're going to look at today. Or you could say we're going to look at what, righteous, what righteousness is, where righteousness is attained, and how righteousness is achieved. So the what, the where, and the how of righteousness. So look at verse 21 with me. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Romans 3, 21 says, but now, but now. See, we've been looking in Romans, realizing that there is no righteousness apart from what we're about to read. Man has tried everything he can to be a good person or to not be a bad person. But now, Paul says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if I can have your attention, the writer of this letter, Paul the apostle, is explaining that each and every human being has sinned and they've fallen short of God's glory. They've fallen short of God's standard. They have come up short of God's perfect righteousness. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, Republican, Democrat, Bucks fan or Patriots fan, (laughs) especially Patriots fan. All of us are wicked sinners and we're unable to attain to perfection, to the standard of being in right standing with God. Now, when I was growing up, my parents, we lived in Florida and we would go to Disney or Busch Gardens or Adventure Island and to ride certain scary rides, the thrill rides, you, you would always have a mark of measurement. And most of them would say something along the lines of, must be at least this tall to enjoy. <laughs> I didn't enjoy those, so <laughs> I was happy that I wasn't tall enough until I was tall enough. And yet, many of us growing up, my family had tall genes, so it wasn't an issue, but many of us growing up, we've done everything we could to reach that mark. I want to ride the roller coaster, so you wear Skechers with extra socks, you kind of wear, wear a padding in your hat to try to reach that mark. And yet, the Bible explains that it's not like we come very close and we're almost there. Just a little bit more effort and we'll meet that mark. You see, a better analogy would be talking of God's righteousness. Just imagine a measuring stick that begins where your feet is, begins at the, the foot of the ground, and extends up out into the sky, out of the atmosphere of earth, far into space, so much so that the top touches the planet Jupiter. 
If that were the standard, it doesn't matter that you're a little bit taller than most people at your age or a little bit shorter and you have some work to make up. No one could reach that standard. And the Bible explains there is no righteousness that exists by trying to keep the law. But Paul here says in verse 21 that the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. So the Bible does speak of, refers to, points to a righteousness that God has revealed. But this righteousness is distinct from any of our human efforts to keep all the commandments and just be a good person. When we see the word sin, the idea is it's to miss the mark. And you can uh, use that as almost an archery term. So if you and I were to use maybe a bow and arrow or a crossbow, or lately it's been much more popular to to use uh, axes. We got to get an axe throwing night with the men. Yeah, let's do that. So that's become more popular. You throw something or you shoot something at a target. And uh, I think ultimately you can hit a bullseye in one of two ways. So you can, you can you know, point the gun, you can point the arrow, you can point the crossbow, you can get ready with the ax, and you can do your best to kind of get back and throw it and strike the target. The other way is to just throw randomly without looking and wherever it lands, take some markers and draw the target around where you struck and say, I'm the best ever. Right? So there's two ways of doing that. The Bible tells us we've all missed the mark. Even people who have tried in their sneakiness to draw their own target. We've all missed God's perfection. We need someone else's righteousness, not our own. You could say we need an alien righteousness. We need one that comes to us from the outside and is perfect and is gifted to our account like a stimulus check on St. Patrick's Day. We need some outside gift given to us that we don't deserve and yet that is imputed to our account. And that's what Paul says in verse 22, that the righteousness of God that the Old Testament refers to is revealed to us, and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's for all who believe. Jesus is that pure, spotless Passover lamb, and he did not sin. Even though all of us have sinned, Jesus knew no sin. The Bible says no deceit was found in his mouth. He was God in the flesh. He lived completely submitted to the Father and never once deviated from the law of God in word, thought, or deed. Just think of that for a minute. Jesus had no guile, no selfishness, no lust, no unrighteous anger, no pride, no flattery, no covetousness. Jesus always obeyed the Father who led him to do what he had called him to do. And he always did that without excuse or without hesitation. So righteousness is to be fully right with God and no one on earth who descended from Eve has even come close. And that's what the glorious good news is that God has sent his son to become one of us and to live that perfect standard of righteousness each and every day of his life. And by laying down his life on the cross and taking our place, he died the death that we deserved and he's granted to us righteousness, which we certainly did not deserve. So not to like go any further in this, but I want you to know today that on the cross, God imputed your flawed record. He took your bad spiritual credit report, you could say, and he, he um, imputed that to Jesus. And he became your substitute. Uh, but not only is your flawed record given to Jesus, but Jesus' perfect record, you could say his pristine spiritual credit report, has been imputed to you. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your sinful life so that he could treat you as if you had lived his perfect righteous life. And that great exchange is sin for righteousness punishment for pardon, and it's been given only and solely through the work of Christ when he died and rose again. 
So notice with me, according to these verses, and my Bible just, the wind blew them away, but notice with me in these verses, it is all who have sinned who are unrighteous, but it is all who believe in Jesus Christ who will be declared righteous. What great hope that gives us this morning, amen? Well, there's a second section, redemption. Notice with me verse 24. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all who are justified are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And let's just read a little bit ahead. Look at verse 25. Uh, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, don't get lost here. Stay with me. I want to look at three words in these verses that may look a little bit unique to your eyes. If this is your first Sunday, these definitions are going to help you a lot. Uh, If this is not your first Sunday, uh, then these are definitely going to at least give you a little bit of an extra handle on them. So uh, let's lean forward here. These three words in these two verses are justification, redemption, and propitiation. Can we try that word together? Propitiation, ready? Do it. Close. No, that was good. That was good. Good job. So let's look at these. Justification. Justification. You can circle the word there, uh, the word justified. It means to be declared righteous. It means to be standing in a courtroom and you know you're guilty uh, and the judge declares you not guilty. But see, it's more than that. It's also to be declared as righteous as Jesus is. So not only does God look at you and declare that you're in right standing with me, he also looks at you and sees you clothed in the perfect righteousness of his perfect son. And so justification is to be declared right, in right standing with the Father, just as Jesus was. What a glorious truth this morning. But then there's the word redemption. What does redeem mean, redemption? Well, it means that a ransom has been paid. A price has been paid. A prisoner or a slave has been ransomed, set free. And the problem is you and I this morning can't buy ourselves out of slavery. Someone else has to come and pay the debt. Someone who's willing and able. And Paul says this redemption is in Christ Jesus. So redemption points to the sufficiency of Jesus because it's through faith, he says, in his blood that our sins are made right. So we are completely, as Christians, we're not dependent on our good works or the fact that we floss. We are dependent solely on the fact that Christ has come and paid our debt. The debt that we owed has been paid fully by him. And we're dependent on our redemption by Jesus. So that's the word redemption. But then there's that word, you just pronounced it, propitiation. That's a new one. That's one maybe you haven't used a lot in your day-to-day. But this is the act of appeasing or deflecting the wrath of God. So as Jesus stands in as our substitute, he takes the place of punishment that we deserve and turns away the wrath of God against sin from us and upon himself. John Stott says the essence of sin is that we substitute ourselves for God. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be, but the essence of salvation is that God substitutes himself for us. God puts himself where we deserve to be. So Jesus' work satisfies the demands of the law and turns away the Father's retribution towards sin. Justification, redemption, propitiation. These three words explain what it means to be saved. You've heard that phrase, to be saved, or that Christians believe that we have salvation. In fact, Jesus' name essentially means God is my salvation. The world outside of the church, the world in general, believes that you can be saved. They believe in salvation by either addition or subtraction. Now, anybody here like math growing up? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. Okay, (laughs) good to know. 
But just think about it. The world believes in salvation by math, either addition or subtraction. So the world says, yeah, you can be redeemed. You can be justified. You just add. You add to your ledger a list of good deeds, like religious things, eating clean, driving a hybrid. (laughs) Or you subtract things. You take something away. So you take away all of your desires, you take away bad attitudes, and you take away all of your carbs. And so if you do that, then you are good. Just add good karma and reduce bad karma, and you'll reach your best self. The problem is your best self is still not in right standing with God. The, the, the price has to be paid. The debt has to be paid. The measuring rod is still too high for any human to attain. So adding good deeds, removing bad deeds does not pay the price of slavery, and it does not certainly appease or deflect the wrath of God. We don't need a formula this morning. The only formula we need is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? Amen. And we as Christians, we've put our entire hope, our entire spiritual hope upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Now notice verse 25. It was God the Father who put Jesus forward. So notice that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian Godhead is in unison in the work of our justification, our redemption, our propitiation. It wasn't as if Jesus was worried that we were going to be chastised by the blind rage of his angry father. So let me quickly take up humanity and let me take up the cross to shield us from angry dad. Okay, That's not the idea. Jesus was the lamb slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. This was the father's good pleasure. And the Bible explains it was all part of his sovereign, gracious plan from the very beginning. The father put forth the son to be our redeeming propitiation. And so we have righteousness because of Christ. We have redemption because of Christ. But how do we receive that? And that's this word reception. Notice again, verse 24 and 25. He says, we're justified by his grace as a, what's the word there? As a, as a gift, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? By faith, by faith. It's a gift in verse 24, and it's by faith in verse 25. Listen, this is not cheap grace. This is not grace given at the dollar store. Uh, I'm just going to bargain and discount the grace of God. No, Jesus paid the price, and it cost him his life. It cost him everything. But his righteousness cannot be attained by good attitudes, good works, or any human means. According to Paul and according to the scriptures, it has to be received by faith. It's a gift, or it can't be received at all. Pastor David Gusick said something I I think some of us need to hear this morning. He said, stop trying to give God a reason to love you. The reasons are all in him. Just receive it, receive his love. Earlier in our service, you heard Cheryl sharing the story of how she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And she did two things that all Christians, all true Christians do to receive the righteousness of God through Christ. First, she repented of her sin. And secondly, she placed her faith in Jesus. So to repent of your sin means to put your sin to death, to turn from it, to view it the same way that God views it, which is it's treasonous and it's diabolical. It is going to end me. And so I must end it. I must put an end to it. That's repentance. But placing your faith in Jesus, secondly, it doesn't just mean you kind of mentally nod your head at Christianity and then download it to your phone like an app that sits somewhere in the background a few pages in as you swipe, just in case I need that app. That's not Christianity. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are putting all of our hopes, 
all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our future, all of our expectation, all of our spiritual life in and upon the person and work of Christ. Jesus has come to rescue us from our sin and to satisfy the wrath of God. He's come to pay the price that you couldn't pay to redeem you and set you free from the penalty and the slavery of sin. He has made you right with the Father, and he's gifted his righteousness to your account. And all of this can be received freely by faith. We just sang the words, it is finished. And I don't know if you know this, but in John 19, he records that he was very close to Jesus on the cross at his feet, and he hears Jesus say a Greek word, tetelestai, which is translated, it is finished. He said that out loud as he expired, if you would, on the cross. The famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, had this to say about that phrase, it is finished. He says, there is nothing more for God to do. It is finished. There is nothing more for you to do. It is finished. Christ need not bleed. It is finished. You need not weep. It is finished. God, the Holy Spirit, need not delay because of your unworthiness, nor need you delay because of your helplessness. It is finished. Every stumbling block is rolled out of the road. Every gate is open. The bars of brass are broken. The gates of iron are burst asunder. It is finished. Come and welcome. Come and welcome. Isn't that awesome? Listen, beloved, so glad you're here this morning. You need to rest today in the truth that the work has been finished. Jesus did not cry out, maybe contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not cry out, it has begun. And then you need to add to his work of atonement. It has begun, now finish the work. No, the work has been completed. Jesus says, it is done. And those words are spoken on the cross over every believer, over every list of sins that you can produce against yourself or against someone else, over every charge against his elect, it has been written, it is finished. So listen up, none of this, none of this is possible without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection The Bible says we should be pitied among all people. What we're doing today is an absolute waste of time. We should have just gone to breakfast and skipped this morning because if the resurrection is not true, we are to be pitied above all people and we're still dead in our sins and there is no hope. We just close our eyes, go into the grave in darkness. But we know what happened, right? We know the truth and that is that he rose again. So if you have your Bibles, look with me real briefly at Luke 24 and we're gonna close with these words. Luke 24 is a story of the resurrection. If you don't have your Bibles, just listen as I read from Luke 24, starting in verse 1. Luke says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And these, of course, were angels. Well, verse eight says, and they, the disciples, remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman, women with them who told these things to the apostles. But notice verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. 
Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Uh, John's gospel tells us John also ran, and I believe John beat Peter. He had to put that in there in his account. (laughs) But notice with me, some will hear about the resurrection, and like the apostles, they will think, hmm, that's interesting, that's kind of perplexing, and they'll just think, that's just an idle tale. That's like a fairy tale. It's idle. It has no meat to it. There's no worth to it. There's no power to it. And they don't believe it. Others, like Peter, they need a second look of faith to confirm what they've heard. They hear that lives have been changed, and they want a second look. And when they do, like Peter, they marvel at the power of the cross and resurrection in their own lives. And so this morning, I implore you to abandon your own foolish attempt at seeking to save yourself. This morning, I love you enough to tell you that your last name, your net worth, your grandparents' or your parents' faith, your church attendance, none of these can save. Your good deeds or your lack of bad deeds cannot save. You must be born again. You must be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by placing your faith in Jesus Christ this morning for salvation. The resurrection is the centerpiece not only of our Christian faith, it's the very foundation of our lives as Christ followers. And it's because of an empty tomb that we wear the name of Christ and why we can rejoice at whatever is to come in our world. So for the Christian, the cross represents the end of sin, but the resurrection, the empty tomb, represents the end of death. Clarence W. Hall said this, the resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all of his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. This is Easter. Death has been defeated. And we now have a living hope, a hope that's alive. So this morning, if you've never received Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to receive life, to receive hope. Maybe for the first time to receive true forgiveness, to have your shame and your guilt removed, to receive salvation, redemption, truth this morning. I'm going to invite our worship team back up this morning, and we're going to close our gathering in a moment by singing a song, Living Hope. And I want to invite you this morning... If you've never publicly repented of your sin and trusted Christ for salvation, the song is going to come to a point where it says, then on the morning, uh, and it talks about how out of the silence, the grave has no hold on him. It's going to come to that point in the song, and we're going to repeat that line. When we get to that line, if you've never trusted Christ, you've never repented, I'm going to be available over here with my wife. We want to invite you to join us over here. And by walking over here, you're saying, I want Jesus to be my living hope. I've never repented of my sin. I've never trusted Christ. Today, I want the day uh, to be my day of salvation. I want him to be my living hope. So as we get to that point in the song, I'll make my way over there. I want you to join me. We're going to pray with you. We're going to share a Bible with you, some resources, and let you know what it means to be in Christ. So don't miss this opportunity today. Don't wait for a better time to come, a better moment. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can be made alive, born again to a living hope, risen with Christ who makes all things new. So let's stand together and we're going to pray, then sing this song again. When we get to that ending, you join us and make Jesus today your living hope. Father, thank you for your son who came and who died in our place, but who rose again triumphantly. This morning we declare Jesus is our living hope. We thank you, Lord, that we have righteousness, redemption, propitiation, It has been given to us, not by our own works, but from the outside. Christ has come. So today, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, they've not repented and trusted Christ, not those who just attend church, but who have truly 
bent the knee, bent the will, surrendered their lives to you. Lord, make them alive today. Bring them from death to life. And Lord, make them a new creation this morning. Lord, we pray that you do that salvific work in our hearts this morning. And for those who are in Christ, you would renew us with joy as we sing. We thank you for your grace and we worship you today on this glorious morning, knowing that you are risen indeed. And all God's people together said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.